Hello and welcome back to The Miscast, where we examine latest news, spicy brews, and strategy in CDH. I'm your host, Drake Sasser, and with me today is Punt City extraordinaire, Mikey Hollihan. How you doing today, buddy? Doing well. Still super exhausted from Punt City, just trying to rest up this week so that I have some more energy at SCG Columbus and I'm actually able to hang out with people because I was so busy at the event. Like, I barely even, like, saw you and all the other people that I wanted to visit um, over the weekend, but... At the same time, I was really busy. Everything went really smoothly. The tournament went well. It was really well received. So no complaints on my end. Just like I said, pretty dead inside. Just trying to get my energy back up. So SCG Columbus, I can be usual energetics, overly social self. <laughs> yeah, that's very reasonable. I was actually, I mean, I guess people don't really see me in my like tournament element very often. So I was a lot less like bubbly social let's go hang out with everybody and a lot more focused on keeping my head in the game and doing all that stuff and i mean to your credit punt city was an awesome event i mean we're going to be talking at length about a lot of stuff around that today uh i I mentioned it to you a little before the show but i uh, normally have some kind of like note structure some kind of generic flow that i want to get through with the episode with highlights nothing super scripted or whatever but at least like bullet points of like things I want to touch on here. I literally have nothing. I have no script. I have no plan. I'm just going to kind of have a stream of consciousness about my testing. And of course you were part of that process too. So, I mean, as much as you were running uh, events and stuff like that, you were involved somewhat in helping our, our little testing crew prepare uh, for this event. So with that little bit out of the way, I think, yeah, I think you did an awesome job at the event. It was, you know, it was tough seeing you so worn out because it was clear you wanted to, to spend time with people uh, at LobbyCon on Saturday night and stuff, but you were just dog tired, absolutely out of it. I felt really bad for you. You know, you've been running around all day trying to work your, work your ass off and uh, didn't have as much time for the LobbyCon after. Yeah, I mean, completely fine, but, you know, the fact that I was so tired and everything just showed that the event went well and we put a lot of time into it because... We were all, all the staff were just running on fumes at a certain point, but the event went well and that was the goal. So, you know, it's better than if I was like super energetic and there was just fires everywhere. It's like, this is fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm in the same boat. It was actually nice. I got to spend some time. I didn't spend any time with, in person with Ashani too much. And, uh, we were playing some, some casual games, uh, into the wee hours. And that was, that was really awesome. I mean, it was great seeing everybody putting, putting names and discord handles to faces and, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, great experience. Awesome stuff. Can't recommend, you know, Eminence events enough. We'll be shilling plenty throughout this episode, I'm sure. Uh, but, um, yeah, I am kind of in the same boat. I was dog tired yesterday. Had kind of a, not, not a red eye, but like a really late night flight. Uh, I didn't get back till like one or two a.m. and then had to work in the morning and it was just exhausted after the weekend, but it was great. Didn't have to take any days off work and the flights worked out perfectly. We got to uh, do some stuff on Sunday in Philly. Um, outside of just playing the tournament, which is really cool. That was something I appreciated a lot about your event. Normally, like, SCGs and stuff would go into the really late late hours of the evening. And, like, I mean, if you didn't make the top uh, the top 16 cut, which I didn't, spoiler alert, um, you, you basically have, like, most of Sunday to, like, do stuff in the city. And that's honestly underrated. That's something I was really excited about with this event because normally it's very much, like, you know, play the game, see the world's convention centers is the meme uh, based off the play the game, see the world joke with Pro Tours. And uh, this gave us time to actually do some stuff in Philly. And it's a city I like a lot. I've been there plenty of times, a few times just to see you. And um, yeah, it's a great experience. But yeah, I'm, I'm tired today. It's raining outside, so I'm just moving slow. Uh, it's the middle of the day at this point. And I was supposed to mow this evening. I, I need to mow the lawn before I go to Columbus because... I'm not going to have time to do it this weekend, but it is currently uh, drenched. So that's not going to happen. Well, instead of talking about what we are working on, because I think you and I are both not really working on anything at this exact moment, as we've done all of that in the last month or two, uh, I guess let's just start diving in on what we worked on. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, we, we hinted at this a bit last week where... We, for a long time, Drake and I were both, we've been preaching like Blue Farm's the best deck, X, Y, and Z, card draw on the command zone. And through all of our testing, we really started to shift gears, especially after playing against so much Rock Silas in our pods and in our testing group. 
we start to really see that just like having mana and having free interaction is just really what gets you through the game. And being able to just tap it on your turn but feel safe because your deck runs, I don't, I don't know the exact count, but I'm going to say like seven free pieces of interaction at this point, you know, with Mind Break Trap, Mental Misstep, SWAT, and like all, all the like. And that's just something that's really shifted our opinions, and that's why you made your, your deck switch to Najila. So, and we made a lot of overhauls to Najila. I'll let you go a little bit more into that. But one something I thought was interesting was there was actually a, a playgroup at the event that played, and they were talking to Zane a little bit in another Discord. And uh, and also for the record, Zane is uh, the head developer for our team, for Eminence team. He's the one who made all of our pairing software and made sure all that ran smoothly with our pairing algorithm, the website, all that. So he did a great job. It looked super clean. But they came to all the same conclusions as us, and their list was actually two or three cards different from yours. And I thought that was like really interesting because we did such a huge departure from the stock Najila list, like Najila Tempo, I think they call it or whatever, where. It's really leaning into the Najila plan. It's trying to play a lot more fair cards. That's being grindy, like Grim Hirelings and all that kind of stuff. Maybe some Staxi elements. But these guys just did the same thing that we were doing. So I'll let you go a little bit into that, how we came to some of those conclusions. Yeah, I mean, to touch on that concept a little bit, it's actually one of the cool effects of magic, right? Uh, people talk a lot, especially in the CDH space, where it's very content creator driven, right? The latest ideas, the latest decks, the latest tech usually is, usually is dredged up by the formats namesake brewers who are just addicted to brewing. And I'm jealous of those people. I don't have the brewer's bone in my body. Um, and all that kind of stuff. And I've always touted that I'm somebody that's a little bit more, uh, inclined towards tuning. I like figuring out the ideal configuration of a core concept. I'm not, I'm not looking for the initial ideas. That's for the, that's the smarter brewer people. But like, I'm here to clean those up. I want to make those decks functional. I want to make them, you know, operate at the highest power level they can. And <clears throat> part of the core concept of Najila, once I decided, which there's a whole bunch that goes into the Najila stuff, but once I decided that Najila was a deck I wanted to test out, I, I mean, I did exactly what I normally do. My normal testing process, just like for any other tournament, started tuning. And it is, it is cool, but unsurprising to me that someone else came to a lot of the same conclusions. You know, I don't know if they've seen my list ever or whatever, but I, I wouldn't be surprised they hadn't because the, the thing with magic is the powerful cards are always powerful. And you see this in Pro Tours happen all the time. Individual testing groups will come to many of the same conclusions using different processes because, you know, it is very much, it's like a math problem, right? There's more than one way to do math. People stress on this all the time. You see those stupid posts where it's like, how did you do 81 plus 72 in your head? And like people map out how it happens. It's the same idea, right? Where people have different processes that come to the same conclusion and the conclusion's usually right. And so like, I think I was really happy with my deck list. Um, I, I guess I'll start at the, at the beginning here. So moving on from that concept, I, th I think it's really cool. And it makes me very encouraged that, uh, I made the conclusions I did because it shows the process did work. Our testing process was successful. Um, we had plenty of time to do it. We started testing about a month, month and a half out. Actually, I think we really like started testing two months out, but we didn't actually form a group until about a month and a half out from Punt City. And it wasn't like a dedicated Pro Tour testing group. We just made like our own little Discord with uh, people that were like-minded and we found we were able to talk magic with without people getting their ego involved, which is always a very important aspect of having a testing group is as soon as your results or you know, your ego go gets put on the line during conversations, productive conversation stops. And there's a lot of that in the CDH community. And so finding people that, you know, I was comfortable working with and testing with was a difficult thing. But of course you were one of them. And so we have a testing group with you um, and a variety of other people. I don't know if it's actually useful to name names, so I'm just not going to. But one of them is Bryant Cook. And the reason this is relevant is he's someone that put a lot of time into Rog Silas. And this is a deck that I think is really powerful. There's There was a couple format goals we had at the beginning. The first was to find the best Turbo Ad Nauseam deck. So obviously we started with like Cody and Rogside because those are the two that came to our minds. And after a while, I didn't do any of the Cody testing. I don't know if you can speak to that more, but I did not. I, I didn't even think... I didn't think the Cody testing was worth it because I told them all my thoughts. I was like, this deck isn't good. It's so telegraph what you're trying to do. And then on top of that... So it's like a creature, it's kind of a creature-based combo deck. I know that's a little bit misleading, but at the end of the day, you need to untap and activate Cody. It's kind of like the Hermitude problem, so it dies to removal. And mm. I'm not saying that that's a great argument for evaluating a card. However, on top of it dying to removal, getting disrupted by bounce spells, it also needs to resolve an ad nauseum. 
So yeah. any piece of interaction in your deck stops this. If you have a bounce spell, a kill spell, you have a counter spell, you have a silence, like everything hits it. So it's not like you really need a mulligan to stop Cody. You just need a mulligan to like a piece of interaction and then hope that someone else in your table does that in case they have the turn to win with protection. Um, and I was just like, this is just not worth it. And then on top of that, if the Nas gets countered and Cody's stuck in play, you're just done because you can't even cast permanent spells. You're not able to put in value engines. You're not able to do anything. So you're in this awkward spot where you either postpone the Cody plan, just drop like a Ristic or a Remora or something, and just draw cards until you feel comfortable going off. But at that point, you're just doing things worse than what the other decks are doing because Cody plays a lot of weird cards to enable the pseudo-cascade effect that Cody has. So I was on that page from the start, and, there, and a few people were like, oh, I think you're undervaluing, and then they tried and they came to the same conclusion I did after like five games of testing. And then that brought us back to Rock Slash where we really just kept that deck and um, as I mentioned just the fact it makes so much raw mana and the fact that Rograk is free and that just turns on your Mox Ambers it turns on your Swats your Fierce Guardianships all that kind of stuff Deadly Rolling it just makes it so powerful and that's what only pushed us to be like okay while Blue Farm's really good because you have this card drop we keep dying to Rog Silas just because of their sheer mana advantage and the fact that their free counter spells are literally turned on from turn one every time and obviously turn one crumbs possible but you still need to jump through more hoops to get that five mana and then have the free interaction spell and things along those lines. So that's why we started to shift gears to Najila, because we're like, oh, this is castable off Jeweled Lotus. Three mana with one pip is a lot easier to get out, and we're just able to get access to all these powerful free effects right right from the gate. Generally, turn one, latest turn two. Like it's If you don't have an Najila turn two on that deck, like you just mold incorrectly. Like I don't know what to tell you. Or you mold... <laughs> Like, it's not the, hard to make or you mold to oblivion. One color or whatever. Yeah, yeah, or you mold to oblivion like our friend Ben did in his top 16 round and went to one card, but I don't even want to get into how ridiculous of that. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm still, I still stand by. I think I would have, I would have capped it too, but uh, you know what? You know, the point at which you're at two, what's the difference in one? You know, I don't know, but mm-hmm. no, I'm on, I'm on board with, with all that. And that's definitely something that, like I said, I, I was able to trust my testing team that, that their conclusion that Cody was worse than Rog Silas as far as being a consistent and more resilient deck, um, was, was a thing that's true. And like you, like you alluded to, um, I was testing Blue Farm at the beginning of the testing process. I was like, this is the deck that people tout as like one of the best. This is the one that reads like the best to me because having like all this card advantage of the command zone seems extremely powerful. Like you can, you can try to win really early and then if you fail, you can recover very easily with card advantage. I had some games play out like that. I was very impressed. And so I spent a lot of my, uh, early testing time on Blue Farm. Well, I found. Well, we found, I, I act like this is me. This is definitely not me. Everything I talk about conclusion-wise was a team effort, but, you know, this is the best way I can I can say it. We found that in pods where, you know, there was a lot of, we'll, we'll call it aggressive decks. We'll call, like, Rog Silas. We, we used the terms Belchers and Delvers or whatever in, in our previous podcast, but that's not really the nature of it because Rog Silas was so powerful because it can kind of do both. Rog Silas is kind of a Delver deck. It has the interaction that you can play off Rog. You can have your Fierce and your Swat and your Rollick online very early. You make mana. So you're able to do the interaction thing. Like you said, you're able to have the card advantage engine stuff with like Mystic Remora, Ristic Study, and those kinds of cards. Um, and then you also just are able to make a ton of mana and present Nas very quickly. So the deck's extremely powerful. And some of our testing team did play that at Punt City. Um, and I think for good reason, the deck's extremely, extremely potent. Blue Farm got to play those cards too, right? Like you're playing a lot of the same cards. You still have SWAT, you still have Fierce, you should be playing Rollick. If, if, I mean, if you can, like if you're playing Fierce and SWAT, you probably should be playing Rollick too. That was a card that we found in our testing process to be extremely underplayed. We found removal to be underplayed in general, but just zero mana spells, I, I can't understate how incredibly important they are to have in this format, especially with the draw card engines that we have access to. Being able to fight with free spells is so important, and so having Rollick in your deck was a no-brainer. We found that card pretty quick, and we're like, yeah, we should just have this in all of our decks that function. Um, so having all those cards turned on earlier was better, but the big key card for me was that I found myself losing with a lot of hands that had Jeweled Lotus in Blue Farm, and the direct result of that was kind of that Krom was too small ball of a draw engine to be basing an entire hand's plan around. Now, that's a lot to process, but, like, basically, if you're just doing the commander thing off the bat, like, I don't think Blue Farm's a very good deck, right? Because, like, those... It's small ball. Like, you're not going to be better than someone that's just putting a Rhystic Study into play. You're not going to draw more cards than somebody that's putting a Sentinel into play or is putting a Remora into play. So, for me, 
the you blue farm was close, right? We got to play a lot of the really good cards in CDH. The deck felt powerful in a lot of games, but there was a subset of games where I was just looking at hands that I felt should be keepable. You know, jeweled lotus, fast mana, some interaction. Like I was like, yeah, this hand looks like it should be great, and I was just dying not close in a lot of pods and a lot of configurations time and time again, and I found that to be troubling because it's like okay. We're supposed to be one of the better Jeweled Lotus decks because we have this five mana commander. It's supposed to be extremely powerful in the form of Krom, but it's just not getting there in our pods. So it was a strange, a strange thing for me. And basically I came to the conclusion that Timna and Krom are so, it's the same problem I have with Sylvan Library, actually. I, I get in arguments with Sylvan Library all the time. I think that card's not very good. I think Krom and Timna kind of fall into the same boat where it's a little too small ball like you're not drawing more cards than the mystic or more heuristic study esper sentinel players so you're kind of just doing something that other decks can all do but you're doing it worse and you're committing an entire hands plan around it yeah so I was and like, yeah. Something, something i would just like to add to clarify to that a little bit what drake is trying to get at is like some people just keep sevens because they have a turn one crom and the rest of the cards just don't really have a focus or a game plan like if you're able to have a turn one crom and you also have like a tutor or something else like intuition Obviously, that's really powerful, but we kind of fell into this trap where we were just like, oh, first seven cast a Krom, dope, we're going to keep it. But that's nowhere near as powerful as just doing a turn one Esper Sentinel, which uses less resources, a turn one Rhystic or a turn one Remora. Because at the end, they draw you a lot more cards, and they're actually able to dig you out of mediocre hands. Like, I keep plenty of sevens where it's really just like one land Remora and then stuff that's not really doing anything at the moment. Because I know it'll just, as long as I can pay for it for a turn or two, it's going to dig me out of that situation. And Krom doesn't have that impact, but... It is nice to be able to lean on it when you go down to, say, like, five cards because your first few hands were not great. Then it's like the turn one Krom. It's like, okay, now this is just great because I have this reliable card draw engine in the command zone, and I'm able to cast it, and it helps you dig out of those situations when you have to mull low. But I think that we've kind of gravitated away from just, like, oh, blindly jamming these turn one because usually we just ended up dying to faster decks. Yeah, and that was something I was, like, legitimately concerned about going into Punch City. I think a lot of people, we talked about this in our Timna Dilemma episode at length, where it's like, a lot of people are going to be playing less interactive decks, and I did find that to be the case in Punch City. Uh, I did find that there was a lot less interaction in the average pod that there than there was in uh, pods I play with other players that I find to be, you know, whatever, that I think are better at the game um, from my personal experiences. Um, so... I ask myself the question, it's like, okay, if I'm, what, what in my command zone matters? Like if, if the Krom Timna card advantage thing isn't enough to build a plan around in the average game, then I probably shouldn't have that in my command zone. I should have something because I have access to it every game. Think of it like companions. It's funny to go backwards because commander came first, but companions were the first like commander-esque things that were pushed to the limit where like Luris in Modern, when it was free to cast, you had this like entire plan built around it. You played cards like Seal of Fire, you played like Bobbles and stuff. It's like to lean into this card. You still had a functional deck, but you had a lot of cards that were designed where you could keep hands that just interacted a little bit and had a few of those cards and then let the, the companion take over the game. And Yorian, you can't do you don't do as much of that, but all your cards still synergize very well with Yorian and you're, because you have access to it every game, your deck is built to lean into that. And so I wanted a commander that my deck was built to lean into, and cards clearly wasn't the way to go. If I wanted to make mana out of the command zone, I would just be playing Rograk, right? Because he enables the best mana stuff. He enables, like, the Culling Rituals, the Springleaf Drums, all those kinds of mana effects. So trying to do the mana thing is probably not the way I wanted to go. So if cards aren't it, mana's not it, the next place that I reached... And I wanted my deck to be a good Jeweled Lotus deck and a good Fierce Guardianship slash SWAT slash Rollick deck. The next obvious thing for me was Najila. The reason for this is Najila, I mean, I can read the text of the card to you, but I want to talk about the pressure Najila puts on a game. Najila is slower than Rogsang. I think that's objectively true. You can have hands that present turn one, but on average, you're slower than a deck like Rogsilus. So why play a deck like this? And the answer for me is that I wanted my commander to be something I could build my plan around. I want to be able to have a commander that I can lean into if I want to, and I have a combo out of the command zone. Instead of having cards or mana, I have a combo. You know, all I need is my B pieces. I need my Drevi or my Druid's Repository or whatever. And guess what? I, I can just win the game out of the command zone. Also, Najila is so powerful that it also just works as a magic card. Instead of drawing cards over time, 
It puts pressure on the table's life totals in a meaningful way. It presents enough power to be able to put enough pressure on the table that this is a meaningful clock. If this game will not go past like five more turns or people are threatened to just start dying to manually activating with my lands because I have so much power. So Najila was where I've turned my eyes next. This is a deck I've always had a lot of respect for. I had played zero games of Najila before the testing process where I decided that if, if Blue Farm isn't the direction to go, I want to keep all the same principles that we had with Blue Farm. And we talked about these in the past, but I'll go over it again. The principles were that like, I didn't want to lean as much into the commander. I want to build a good Turbo Nas deck that can recover with the commanders, which was fine. But then your, then your Jeweled Lotus, your SWAT, your Fierce, all those cards are weird because your commander isn't part of your plan. Whereas with Najila, because Najila is so much cheaper, so much easier to cast, Jeweled Lotus Hands are great. You know, your Fierces and your Swats, they're not active turn one like Rog is, but they're active usually turn two, which is still quick enough to be good and relevant. And your deck can function without Najila. I'm still an Ad Nauseam deck. I'm still an Underworld Breach deck. I can still do all of the powerful things to do in CEDH, but I also have this card in the command zone that I can I can build a hand around. And this means that my mulligans are a lot easier to build like plans out of like i can look at a hand of mana fierce and a tutor and be like okay cool like i can play najila and then eventually this tutor is going to be a derevi and then i have interaction to keep keep my hand together whereas normally that kind of thing could be like a mulligan so i i wanted a deck that had more cohesive opening hands that made the powerful cards in cedh cards like jeweled lotus look good instead of like kind of bad like it did in blue farm and I get to keep all the good cards. I get to play, you know, Esper Sentinel, Ristic Study, Mystic Remora, all the tutors. And I get to pick up all the creature tutors, which means more Dock Sides. And everybody knows Dock Sides great. So, yeah, I started on Najila. And I this was probably, what, two weeks out from yeah, Punt City? Yeah, it was around that. It was it was not too long before the event. It was, pr- it was a pretty quick swap. Yeah, I think that's right. And... So it was like two weeks or so before the event, I hopped ship from playing Blue Farm and thinking like I was pretty likely, I mean, I think I said it in an episode, I was almost certainly going to play Blue Farm Punt City. I was like, okay, I don't think this deck is the best at what it does. I think if I want to play a fairer deck, something that can grind a little bit more. I mean, Rogside can grind, but I want something that can like stick with like some of these like curious control decks and stuff. I decided to switch to Najila. And instantly I felt the deck was way more powerful than Blue Farm. And that's incredible because I thought Blue Farm was a lot better than the average CDH deck. But I felt the deck, it just felt so smooth. And this is the way I built it. Now I started with a list from like the deck list database. And you mentioned like, I'm at this point, I think I checked recently and there's two Najila lists on the database. My, my Najila list is 27 cards off the closest list. I think 28 cards off the second closest list. So about a third of my deck is completely different from the other Najila decks out there, which I found to be extremely odd because literally the testing process was just putting good cards like I did like I did with Blue Farm, putting the good cards that are played in CDH in my deck, things like Ad Nauseam, Underworld Breach, all the like powerful stuff to do in this format, all the best cards that you can play in this format and just sticking them in my deck. And that's all I did. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was crazy that people weren't on intuition because on top of it just giving that the wind line would breach, your Derevian Druid Suppository are also 3 CMC, so it just gives you another way to pivot. And Najila just gives you so many more ways that you can constantly just pivot throughout the game where those creature tutors, sure, they can get you the Derevi uh, to combo off of your Najila, but they also can just get you a Dockside. And that was something that we noticed was really powerful when we were testing Sans White decks. It's just having more ways to find Dockside is extremely relevant because you're can have a board state where you're only showing say three lands or something that looks very unthreatening and then you tutor for an end step tutor for a dock site and all of a sudden you have 10 mana and yep. you're storming off in some way shape or form so it just give you all these different pivot lines without focusing too much on any one plan because i feel like the ones on the database are a little too focused on the Najila plan and playing fair magic and kind of what was really good back when flash hulk was good because there kajuna was insane because everyone has this little standoff where they all have flash in hand and no one wants to go off and then Najila turning sideways just gets their all natural out. And that, that's still something that happens if you get an Najila out early because so many people are running removal and it's like, oh, it's not out of hand yet. And then you just die to a bunch of warriors hitting you in the face. But yeah. having the breach lines, the Nas lines, and all this other stuff that just gives you the speed, it lets you 
Droid in the Winds turn two, turn three more consistently, and it just gives you more options to either do the more fair Najila thing, find the Derevi and win that way, or you just kill people with a Nas or Underworld Breach combo. And a lot of people just haven't adopted that mindset with the deck, and I think that it's just very incorrect, because when you're in five colors, I think you should just be doing five color good stuff, and that's basically what we did with Najila, and the two cards that maybe don't fall into that category are Druid's Repository and Derevi, and those are just A plus Bs with your commander, so in that deck they just function. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree, and like, that was the weirdest one, is none of the database lists are playing Druid's Repository, and I talked to some people at Punt City, and the, apparently the general consensus is people think Druid's Repository is bad, which I, I just don't understand at all. The card is overperformed, it makes Enlightened Tutor fit into the pivots as well, where you can do Breach stuff, or you can do uh, the Gila Win stuff, like, I don't know, the card was awesome, it is overperformed for me, I've loved Druid's Repository, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to gush too much. I'm, I am going to post my deck list in the uh, show notes uh, of this. I'll probably also post it on Twitter when this episode goes live uh, as part of the tweet on the miscast. So if you want to find the deck list I played, you can find it on my Moxfield. You can find it in the show notes or you can find it on Twitter. You should be able to find it everywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, it's public on my Moxfield. It has been the entire time, but I, I wasn't exactly touting it about because, I mean, I was too focused actually working on it than trying to have people see exactly where I'm at because, you know, a lot of things changed week in and week out with the deck uh, before I, I settled into a list I was very comfortable with. But yeah, like you said, the pivot is what felt the most powerful to me. Those are the two principles that men, made, like led me to play Najila over Rogside because when it came down to the last week of testing, I was down to playing either Bryant Cook's Rogside's list or Najila. And <clears throat> there were two things that stood out to me as extremely important to, I guess it's actually three, but so we'll say three things that stood out to me is extremely important that Najila could do that Rogside can't. The first is I felt Najila played better under stacks. Rog can play under stacks. They have some removal spells, but if there's like two, two stack stacks in the pod, you know, it's, it's tough for Rogside. I think if they don't have like a busted turn one hand or whatever. So, that was a big thing for me is Najila operates great under stacks. I mean, so much so that people have tried making a stack stack out of Najila. I think that's very symptomatic of exactly that effect, but taking the wrong conclusion from it. Just because Najila plays well under stacks doesn't mean you should make Najila a stack stack. It means you should just build a good Najila deck and guess what? Your deck also works under stacks. That was where I landed. And I thought that was awesome. Second thing is that the creature tutors are very good for pivoting. You do, like you mentioned, you can grab Dockside, you can grab Thoracle. But most importantly, I found that grabbing Ranger Captain was what I was doing more often than not. That card overperformed time and time and time and time and time again in testing. I, I, I seriously can't say enough good things about this card. I think that's like one of the secret best cards in the format that nobody's talking about. Like people are like, oh yeah, Ranger Captain's good. Like they mentioned that like, I don't know, Arcane Signet's good. It's like, yeah, it's good. I don't think you grasp how good Ranger Captain has been for me. It's like the card is so much better than Grand Abolisher because it lets you take a control role in a slower deck. So you can use your creature tutors, get out a Ranger Captain, use that to find a busted draw engine in the form of Esper Sentinel, which is also way better than anybody thinks it is. That card is closer to Mystic Remora than it is uh, Toski or whatever. You know, the next best draw engine. I don't know, Timna. Like, Esper Sentinel is a better draw engine than Timna by a lot. It's also... Almost, it's closer to Mystic Remora than it is, like, one of the worst. Like, I put those three in a category of their own. Ristic, uh, Mystic Remora, and, uh, Esper Sentinel are in, uh, they are the draw engines. If you want to draw cards, that's the way to do it. Everything else is usually way worse at it, and you probably shouldn't even bother. And that's legitimately my take. That's what I found in testing when we tried, I tried all kinds of stuff. We tried all kinds of draw engines. Uh, have you tried? Yes, I have tried it. But, either way, Ranger Captain, Finding Esper Sentinel is extremely big, but also with Ranger Captain, you get such control of the game because people need to force you to crack it, right? Otherwise, you crack it on your turn and just win. But in order to force you to crack it, if you're smart, they have to expose an actual win. Like, you don't crack it in response to wheels. You don't crack it in response to a silence. Like, these, these little small ball things, you don't crack it. Like, you need to put Ad Nauseam on the stack or you need to put Underworld Breach on the stack. Those kinds of effects. Or else I'm not cracking my Ranger Captain. It's not happening. And yeah, as a result, the amount of people that crack control. it with like yeah. a wheel, it's ridiculous. Like it's people so are just like wild. Wheel of Fortune. It's like, I'm going to crack my Ranger Captain out. It's like, that's still not winning. Like, sure, there's a chance that that wheel hits them into a Grand Abolish or something and then it gets spooky. But once again, with the Grand Abolish on the stack, just crack it. 
Yeah, you're, you can crack it later at any time. There's no need to crack it until there is something that legitimately matters. The only thing that blows you out is like Thorical Consult, and that's if you don't crack it in response to like a tutor, right? Like if someone goes demonic tutor and they go grab Thorical and Thorical Consult you, like yeah, you might feel a little silly, but like I think you get punished more often than not cracking your Ranger Captain in response to a demonic tutor. Don't crack it in response to Dockside. Don't crack it in response to demonic tutor. Like, keep your Ranger Captain almost at all costs. I've literally let my Ranger Captain get killed before. Somebody went, like, wheel, and then in response to the wheel, somebody deadly relicked my Ranger Captain. I didn't even crack it there. I was like, no thanks. I literally let it get exiled because I wanted the table to interact post-wheel. So, like, Ranger Captain, I think, is a card that has a, a high skill ceiling to it and is one of the best cards in the format if played at the highest level. So, can't say enough good things. I mean, I just spent probably three, four minutes talking about that card. That was a card that I decided, I mean, from Blue Farm, I decided I wanted to play that card at Punt City. I was like, this card is so messed up. I want to be playing this card at Punt City. And, yeah, the last thing I was going to mention is is kind of a, a branch off that, and that's Esper Sentinel. Like, having that extra draw engine is extremely powerful. So, Ranger Captain, Esper Sentinel, and being able to operate a little better under stacks were the three reasons that I was like, I want to play Najila over a deck like Rog Silas, which I think is the best Turbo Nas deck in the format. So, I guess that's that's probably it for where I landed on Najila. We tested a ton of stuff in the process. I mean, I could go over so many things that we tried and, and dropped. We tried Paco Halden. We tried, you know, Tim Thrasios builds, and we just couldn't figure it out. We tried... Uh, Icrom and uh, Thrasios Vile Smasher, all the Sans Vile. White decks. We didn't really like those too much. Like they just weren't they weren't consistent. Like they had, they were powerful, and like a lot of the staples of the format can prop up some of your hands. Like if your if your deck can just go turn to ad nauseum, like that's a baseline, right? Like that's just what you need to be able to do in a lot of these black based uh, good stuff decks. But it was the the little edges, the stuff around the corners where you're looking at Jeweled Lotus or you're looking at you know, hands that just don't function because there's uh, not a great mix of cards involved, that those were the ones that kind of exposed that the decks weren't quite there. So we, we tested a ton of stuff, and the, the decks that we thought were the best changed uh, week in and week out. Um, and going into Punt City, the four decks that I think are the best in the format, and because, like, this is the things I think are the metagame. We could decide which one's the best here, there, whatever. I don't know. We don't have enough tournaments to actually decide. But I think the, be the best decks that I had in the format, the top four, was Winota. In no order. I don't think Winota is actually the best deck. But Winota, I think, is up there. Winota, Rog Silas, Blue Farm, and Najila. Those are the four decks. I think I think everybody in the testing Discord was in the same page with that one. Those like those are the four best decks in the format. Uh, I think everything else, like, you know, if you're better at it or you have more experience or you like it more, that's fine. But... Those are the four best decks that, if you mastered them, I think will give you the best win rate uh, alongside any other CDH skills you have. So I played Najila. That was my call for the best deck going in the... I still actually stand by that. I still think Najila is the best, but I, I'm willing to be argued with. I, but I think Najila is the best deck in the format still. I played Punt City. Um, and I'm not going to go round by round. I don't think that's like really productive because there's a ton of little isolated things that could have been optimized. I directly punted a win, but I ended day <laughs> one at, I did. Do you know, do you know Demonic Tutor grabs Brain Freeze, my king? Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, when a breach is in play, Demonic Tutor can grab Brain Freeze. Drake it can, just can. Uh, didn't, re didn't, didn't remember that. He, he forgot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think there's something important there, and I'm going to touch on that too, because like, there's plenty of takeaways, but I'm going to talk about how I did. Um, I went two and three on day one, uh, which because of the win rates, the skewed win rates in CEDH, you know, you're 25% is the new 50%. Uh, I actually had a potential win and into top 16 um, on day two. Played my pot on day two. Uh, I think I maybe messed up that win and in by not talking a little bit more. I think there was a chance I could have won that game, but one of the players, and this is something that came up time and time again, one of the players um, I think extremely misplayed and that directly led to a different player winning. Um, and... Uh, the, the person that won our pod, I think, got 17th. So, you know, maybe... I don't know how close my breakers were to them. Like, maybe it wasn't. I was going to get bubbled no matter what. But it was a potential win in the top 16, and breakers were really tight. And, uh, yeah, and our other testing crew member who played Rog Silas uh, also had a win in in <laughs> to top 16 on day two. And uh, their member did get in. Their breakers were a lot better. and uh, But they did not... Um, 
They were on Rogsai, and actually a different Rogsai deck won that pod and <laughs> made it to the top 16. So, uh, yeah, my tournament was cut short, did not make top 16. Um, was awesome having Mike from playing a power shout out to him for winning Punt City. You know, that was a, that was definitely a, a tough slog, but Mike is very good at what he does and Winota is a very good deck. So unsurprising to see good player and good deck win event full of, uh, CEDH players that are also fairly good. So my tournament experience, my takeaways. I've played a lot of 60 card tournaments. I talk about this a lot. And a lot of people in the CDH community tout that CDH is extremely different from 60 card formats. I did not find that to be the case as far as deck building process went. I think our testing process was extremely successful. Um, even, I'm not even upset with our, like we finished two and four and I'm not even upset with that win rate. Like that's still a 33% win rate. That's not bad for being a failed weekend where I literally bunted a win and there's multiple points where I identified I could have played better either uh, socially or otherwise. Like I think, I think our testing process was extremely successful. And for, for my first tournament, I'm extremely happy with the result. I think a lot of people had really high expectations of me, but I mean, tournaments are a numbers game. Uh, I played what almost, I think I played 50 opens, had eight top eights, two wins. So like you can see the, the ratio, you just, it's a numbers game. You play tournaments till you win one. Um, for my first tournament, I was really happy with the experience. I think our process was awesome. I think our testing was awesome. I think our conclusions held up. And that's something that we touched on very much at the beginning of the show. It's like, there's another team, another group out there that came up with an agile list very similar to ours. I don't think that's an accident. I think that yeah, there was a lot like of our three cards off. Yeah. I think a lot <laughs> of our conclusions that's, were good. And there so was three minor. cards I was confused on. I was like, is Grim Hireling good in my deck? Probably not. <laughs> I don't know. It was okay in the weekend, but is there a better slot? Uh, certainly. I think that slot's extremely configurable. Um, but a lot of the core cards felt very, very good. And the density of win attempts that we had, like, I, I never felt really out of games. Like, there was games where I was behind, for sure. But I felt like I had a chance in every single game. Uh, every single one of my tutors represented any pivot I wanted, either to, like, thought, uh, Oracle Consult or to like Derevi stuff or to Ranger Captain stuff if I want to play a longer game. Like making those creature tutors closer to Demonic Tutor was extremely powerful. And that I felt that in game. So it was cool to see, it was cool to reap the rewards of our testing process in action. Um, but there were a couple things I didn't anticipate and that were different from 60 card tournaments. The first is turn orders. When dealing with players that are worse and the players that I was testing with were very much identifiably better than the average player that I played against at Pun City by a lot. Um, and it showed. And as a result, I found turn order mattered more than it did in the pods that I played in testing. A lot of players that I played with were experienced enough to know how to change their role based on where they were in turn order. I did not find that the players I played against at Punt City knew how to do that. And as a result, the player that was going first just got ahead and was able to win, you know, very easily more often. Yeah. And we, and we talked about that on like, who's the beat down versus control. People sit down and like, say they're playing blue farm and it's just like, Oh, I'm going to jam Nas. And it's like, that doesn't really work when you're in seat four nearly it as doesn't. well as when you're in seats one or two. And people just don't have that idea of like really how to pivot or it's like, oh, like I have a turn one draineth. And it's like, that's neat. But when you're in seat three, you just kind of walk one person out of the game and other two people are able to get their commanders out. Obviously that depends on pod composition and what the commanders are, but those are still things that really do matter. Because if you see like an Agila player and they're going before and you're like, oh, this turn one draineth's going to get them. They just go jeweled lowest Agila. And now you still cast that person in seat four no longer can do their plan. And they're just kind of locked out and Agila is able to just swing and accumulate advantage and, Obviously, you can mix and match what commanders are going here. But like things like that are just really important. People play things at the wrong time. Or maybe someone had an explosive term and they dropped a bunch of rocks. They got out of Rhystic Study and they powered out another creature. I don't know. Say it was a Mana Dork. And then you drop an oof. It's like, cool. All that fast man they dropped is now useless, but they still have a board. And the people going after you can't match that. So the person with the Rhystic Studies is going to run away with things. And these are the like, stuff that people really just need to realize and pay attention to a little bit more. Exactly. And I was able to figure some of this out fairly quickly. After my first round pod, so what happened in my first round pod is I literally had a turn cycle where I, like, there's a blue farm player at the table drawing a ton of cards. 
at the end of a blue-green player's turn, I cast uh, Enlightened Tutor, to which they swan song it. I untap, draw, play Demonic Tutor. That gets flusterstormed by the same player. And then I'm like, okay. And then I cast uh, Mystic Remora, and the player going after me, who, you know, got their turn one Urza pyroblasted, mental missteps it. So, like, literally every spell that I played that's even just, like, setup spells got countered, and... I just like passed the turn and I, that was a moment where I realized that people a are a lot more scared of Najila, which I think is telling for how good of a deck it is, but they're a lot more scared of Najila in general than they should be. And as a result, they overreact. And second of all, like I need to start playing other people's decks for them. Like I need to explain to them how the, the texture of the game is going. And this sucks. Like it's not something I want to do. And it sounds like actually really rude. It sounds like, oh, wow, that's really that's really mean. But, like, players don't have the game sense to know where the tensions are and what's going on in a game. Because CDH is so complex and has, like, such this, like, push-pull from turn to turn, like we talked about, actually, in Who's the Beatdown. This is something I'm glad we, we did that episode before talking about it here. People don't feel that Who's the Beatdown shift from turn to turn. And I think if... If they did, like, I don't think my Mystic Remora would have been countered, and I don't think my Demonic Tutor would have been countered either, because the Blue Farm player was drawing cards off all of these interactions, and was, like, very clearly set up to win. The Mystic Remora keeps me in the game, because I have an Agila in play with not very many warriors, and I'm, I'm like, my mana's taxed. I've been missing on mana sources and stuff. So, like, getting me in the game to fight that matters, if you want to have another turn. And so, after that round one, where I realized that players don't really know what's going on, I had to like step it up and start doing a lot more of explaining things and a lot more talking. Like I figured I would do once again, not really bluffing kind of doing like what Charles and Mike do, but without as much misdirection and more just like, here's just what's going on. Like you should know that you need to counter this, but you don't. So I'm going to explain it to you. Um, and I mean, I'm not rude about it or anything. It's just like explaining, okay, because I'm going to get this turn, blah, blah, blah. I, I can make up a scenario, but like, because I don't get a turn for two more turns, like, you need, you know, this person to stop this person, this person to stop me, and, you know, this person doesn't have interactions, so, you know, you're going to need to either sandbag a piece or have me have a piece and all that kind of stuff. Explain the tensions of a game, because it's complicated. Okay. Well, I found that exhausts me. It turns out that is extremely taxing in a way that I'm not used to. Like, I'm used to... The technical play being taxing. I've played a lot of nine round, you know, whatever, even 10 round tournaments in a single day. And I did not have to flex both the technical play muscles and the like social aspect explaining the tensions of a magic game to a table stuff in those kinds of spaces. So I wasn't really ready for it. And that's why, I mean, like, was it like a round or two later, I ended up just like punting away a win in mid breach just because I got tunnel visioned on the wrong thing. Cause I was just exhausted and I'm not really sure what to do about that, except play more tournaments, like tournaments are number game. I'm sure I'll figure that out. Eventually I'll get better at it over time. Just actually have to exercise it. Um, but that was a little obnoxious that it felt that true to its name <laughs> at punt city, people would punt wins to other players that, you know, it's seemingly at random. Like, they just wouldn't understand what's going on. They would make a play that doesn't make sense in the game texture and put the game to somebody, right? I was not ready. Yeah, no, this, that's part of the reason why we, we named it that because it was, um, actually one of our, one of our friends, David, uh, he's Zenu over in like the Kark Discord and such. He was just like, I'm tired of all these like magnificent names for tournaments and things. It's like, just call it Punt City because that's what it is. People are going to make mistakes. And it's kind of like what you were saying. Like, People want to keep having like these bigger and bigger CDH events, which I think is cool. And it's like 250 people, 500 people. Like that should be the goal. And I'm just like, one, that's so many rounds. Cause even at 128 that we had, or well, after drops it was 20, close enough. The six rounds, people were just exhausted because there's a lot more to keep track of. You have to be paying attention to what everyone else, three other players are doing instead of one other player. And the politic aspect and thinking how to navigate these situations really does take a toll. And it's like, if you want to do, like, this 500-person event, you need, like, eight or nine rounds at that point. And it's just, like, I don't even know how that would be feasible for an event hall. Because even with us starting at 10 o'clock, rounds didn't wrap up till, what, like, 5.30? Something like that? And at that point, 
everyone needed like a break and it was like okay everyone leave come back in two hours and reopen for play <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know y'all y'all are a lot a lot cushier i hate to i hate to old man uphill both ways yeah but like i mean scg day ones were nine rounds usually from uh i don't know it was like 10 a.m 9 a.m to 10 a.m start time to uh usually about six o'clock uh just completely straight and then day two if you, I mean, if you won the whole tournament, you'd be there from once again, like 930 to, I don't know, 530-ish. Like, they were they were full on, like, eight-hour days straight. Now, top eight, you usually got a little bit of a break before you had to play top eight. But still, like, whatever. Like, you're playing entirely straight. And there's classics, like the SCG classics that start a little bit later that, that were huge. I played the finals of a modern classic at, like, 8 p.m. at one point. So, like, they just have the hall for a lot longer i guess because that i've seen events go way into the night uh and that's not even counting lgs events which i've seen end at midnight 1 a.m just craziness i, I don't know <laughs> i don't know if that's the cdh community's older we're, we're all old and ancient or what but uh or, or if we just have a higher standard which we probably should of what what you expect out of your event but i i think i think we do need more rounds i think more rounds is extremely is a lot more skill intensive but Ma- breaker master is getting weird if you have too many rounds for too small of a tournament so that's for y'all to figure out I-, I haven't done the math i assume you know z-rob has and it's honestly his software shout out to that you know having great judges and functional software is better than the average wizards event by a lot so i was extremely impressed um y'all even had vendors to buy cards at that had commander stock on hand like great event as far as tournament expectations the stream you know was functional that's also incredibly impressive compared to you know plenty of tournaments now that don't even have streams you had you had streams you had an event center that fit everybody you had vendors you had functional judges and software great 10 out of 10 event i thought it was an absolute home run i very much enjoyed the event and honestly had a great time i've never had such a good time going two and four in a tournament (laughs) like most (laughs) of the time if i have three losses i'm not even playing the tournament anymore for real but um yeah, no, going two and four was was awesome. And it was cool to be sitting at two and three and have a potential win and end of the elimination rounds because CDH tournament math is so weird and winning is so much harder that, uh, you know, you have this chance to still make the elimination rounds in my day two and just lost a win and end. So honestly, like I said, I'm really happy with my performance. I was really happy with my deck. Um, obviously, I could have played a little better. I could have, I don't know how I could have prepared on the mental energy more without just playing more tournaments in the past. So overall, I'm actually pretty happy with myself, even though, I didn't crush it. I didn't take it down. I didn't make the final pod. Um, I thought our process was good. I thought my deck was good. And in general, I thought my head for the, the tournament was good. I wasn't I wasn't caught off guard by anything one way or the other, really. But it was striking to me how much worse the average player was. in Even in like an event like this where I knew a lot of the players. Now, most of them weren't players that I actually knew that were playing, you know, bad or whatever. But... Uh, still, like, you, you have to have some amount of sense of your own capabilities to show up to an event, um, and even know about this event, because this is Eminence's first event, you know, it's not like you're SEG or whatever, like, hate to break it to you, but, you know, you're relatively new as far as a tournament organizer goes. People find out about this, need to be pretty connected, so these players that hold themselves as extremely capable and extremely connected, um, it was unfortunate that they weren't as good as some of the pods I've been playing in uh, the discords, both in our testing group and even in just some of the other discords I play in hell, even the playing with power, like mocks, you know, we have, we have some heavy hitters, like the, obviously the playing with power team did great over the weekend. Ryan, uh, Zach, Mike, all making deep runs. Um, but even just like some of the, the, the mox pearls, like Charles and whatever, like we still have some great players in the mox pearls. These are the pods I'm used to playing against. And so that was a little bit of a, a shock to me. And it was more, frustrating that it seemed like it cost me games so i have to i have to learn how to adjust my play for the pods full of players that i know to be good and the the unknown players and i think that's a skill that i need to work on i think that i need a little bit more mental endurance for being able to multitask so i can play at my highest level uh, all day in cdh events but in general i thought it was a great event and I would play Najila going forward. I plan to continue playing Najila going forward. If there was an event tomorrow, I think I would run Najila back. Um, I might play Rogsai just to try it out because I, I think that deck's also very good. But 
I think it's going to have some of the same problem where it gets very targeted because people are like, that's the turbo deck or whatever. It gets this, has the same problems as Najila does. Um, so I think it's kind of six and one half dozen the other. I have more options than Najila. I'd probably just play Najila if there was a tournament tomorrow. But um, yeah, I think event was great. Do you have any takeaways from the TOing side? What, what do you think happened? Any surprises from your side? Um, there wasn't any like surprises or anything that really happened. Uh, obviously, on the second day, we had that one round start a little bit late, and that's something that we just need to work on remedying, because what it was is a lot of people the night before had a lot of, like, a lot of people were drinking in the hall and stuff and, like, partying, and a lot of people dropped without telling us that they dropped, so then we had to do the whole thing where we did, like, a mock round, sat down, marked the people that weren't there, so that delayed things a little bit, but 30-minute delay for one round really isn't the end of the world, it's not a big deal, so we're going to choose something to remedy that in the future, whether it's, like, a players' meeting that starts, like, at 9 o'clock, where you have to come sit down, and then we figure out who's missing, or maybe a drop button on the website where you can just drop from the event if you want to um, for before day two. And we're also thinking about what Into the North suggested with breaking to top 40. So then you just know after day one, if you're in top 40, you have to show up. If not, then you don't have to. So we're working on figuring that out. That's the one thing. And then other than that, it's just how the tables were set up. For people at the event, you know, like the tables were really long rows. It was hard to kind of like shimmy down to get to your spot. Uh, and then also made judge calls harder because they had to like fit through Basically, the venue space, they told us how long, how the dimensions of the room, but it didn't really go wall to wall. It kind of, or we had thought it went like wall to wall, but instead there was like all these like modules and cabinets there and that kind of <laughs> lost us two, three yeah. feet. And they already had the room set up before we got there and we're just like, oh, I guess we just have to deal with it. But there's things that we're going to be more cautious of in the future when we're taking out event space and setting up tables. So nothing that really went wrong, just more of these little quality of life things just to make the event run smoother. I was a little bit surprised to see Urza make it all the way to finals just because that's a deck I've honestly kind of forgot about. Uh, <laughs> like I, thought, I thought when it first came out, it was like really hyped up and then people started playing it and just figured like it wasn't as good. But honestly, the guy was very good at the deck, made it very far. He made it to finals and almost won finals. It was just Mike had the luckiest top decks I've ever seen in my life. Like, I wish I could draw as well. I need to learn how he's doing these. <laughs> the, this Get skill. luckier. Yeah, it's like there was a Magus of Moon in play, and he had a second rule on hand. There was a player, uh, March of the Scrolling Mist, got rid of all the stacks, pieces that were relevant, and had win in hand, and then Mike top decks a Dockside. So, plays Dockside, makes a bunch of treasures, drops the second rule of law, and the, the Urza player really just scooped there. It was just like, yep, I can't, we're done. <laughs> Brutal. That's so sick. But Mike just had, yeah, and then there's another game where someone dropped a cage before Mike, and obviously Cage just hoses Winota. Mike draws, uh, was it Goblin Crater Maker? That was his top deck. Perfect. Never didn't have it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it was just like, wow, I, I just need to get some tips from Mike on how to draw better because it was just insane watching like how this played out, you know, staying behind. It was just fuck. But overall, the event went really well. We got a lot of positive feedback. We have a lot of people who are reaching out to us to help run events for them in the future. Vendor relations are great. The vendors were all super stoked. They had good weekends selling cards. Um, as you mentioned, they had commander staples, and that's something that we told them. We When we... We're picking vendors really. You need to make sure that you have all the commander staples, all the high end reserve lists, and also have a bunch of foreign foils because we know that's what people want. And they <laughs> hey, were selling, you know, hey, I'm yeah. called out. I'm called out. <laughs> so, like Japanese foil mind break trap, they had two of them. Those sold like before the event even started on Friday night. There was, oh, a dang, I actually probably would have picked one of those up. <laughs> I need one. My mind break yeah. trap is scrubby and non foil. I need one. <laughs> Yeah, they like they just all had a great weekend. They all wanted to work with us again in the future. So it's good to have that. We'll, we'll have a team that's consistent. All of our judges, they really love the event. And they also have a similar response where it's like, oh, we can we come back and we kind of become like, you know, quote unquote eminence judges. And a bunch of them want to fly out to San Jose when we do that event. So everything went amazing on my end. And while I was busy running around making sure things ran smoothly, at the end of the day, I didn't really have any hard decisions to make or anything like that, which is just a sign that the event run, ran well. Because when exactly. the TO is stressed out, having to like jump through hoops and do all this stuff, that means things are going poorly. So everything was good on our end. Zane and I were just sitting at the table. He was running the pairing software, and him and I were just sitting next to each other. It's like, okay, this is cool. <laughs> no one's coming up to us. I didn't get pulled over for any like unsportsmanlike conduct or anything. The judges handled all the decisions. And shout out to Max, who was um, our head judge for the event. Uh, he's definitely someone who's going to be a mainstay at Eminent Staff. We're going to make sure he's at all of our events. The staff that he put together for this, they all had experience with CD. That that really showed that they're used to these interactions and four players, like how to resolve things and all that kind of stuff. Like just weird things that don't show up in 1v1. And every, like I said, all the feedback was great. Um, multiple people told us this was the best event that they've been to. 
and they're just excited for more. So we're excited to keep delivering it. Like I said, Silicon Dynasty is going to be San Jose Martin Luther King weekend in January. I believe it's the weekend of the 13th. Um, regardless, it's on our website, and then we're going to run back Punch 2, which is March 2023. Same venue, same everything. So just a lot of stuff in the pipeline, and if you missed that on this event, and where there'll be more, and if you don't want to, you should definitely come through because we had side events that were firing, lots of friendly games that were going on, and we want to make it more of a con experience, I think. I think that really showed because, like, as you mentioned, you had a lot of fun, even though you do as well in the tournament as you had hoped, just because we had so much stuff going on and had the space where people could be coming to and hanging out. Like, Saturday night, it was literally just a party in there where people bringing the different bottles of liquor, having fun, playing cards, like, sharing, mingling. It was really great, and there was just absolutely no drama. Everyone got along, and there was a crazy fight that broke out or any crazy scandal, <laughs> at least. Not, not that I've heard of yet. Maybe something will pop up, but that's just, like, pretty rare, I feel, for a CDH event. I mean, you know, there's been cheers getting caught on webcam, in-person events. There's always been some catastrophic thing that happened or something shady that went down, and we didn't have any of that. So everything from my end was a success, and just excited to do more, and I'm really happy with the team that I assembled. Oh, also, we have a new addition to the Eminent staff. Oh. Um, this was actually something that we we just were waiting until after the event to announce it, and some people are going to be like, oh, is it because he won the event? But Mike is going to be a graphic designer that we onboard. So yeah, we, we had that all we had that all lined up, like, couple months before the event and um, <laughs> now we're willing to make now we're willing to make it official and it's going to be on our twitter like what as we made everyone like a magic card he's going to get his own soon so that's exciting i'm glad to have him on here i really like all his art and all his work so that should be dope yeah no i i agree eminence the event was just great um oh we talk about this nonstop, at least I do. I, I spew my head about having centralized tournament deck lists available. If people want to see Mike's winning list or the top four, top 16, is that hosted on your website or what's the, what's the plan? I want, I want people to be able to see this. I can post it in the show notes and all that stuff. Uh, but I want, we, we made, we made your life nice and easy. Um, on the eminence field, we have a folder that for top 16, and then we have another folder for top four. Okay. So it's all unfolded. Okay, I'll link that in the in the show notes and stuff. So it's on the yeah. There, there'll be two. Field. Yeah, and there'll be two links that you can use. Um, we actually posted it in our Discord on the Eminence Discord under like uh, important info, I believe, or important links, one of those two. And so you can just copy and paste those two, and people can see all the decks that made in top six, all the ones that made in top four. And Zane is currently working on a bit of a data breakdown, like a the quote unquote meta analysis. Um, I'm not sure exactly what he has planned for it yet, but. He's going to be working over with Ken for, um, for his website to try to share some of the data. We just haven't processed it yet because, as I said, we're all just exhausted. Exhausted, and, yeah. But that, that, but that is coming, and we do have plans to like share the data, and it would be nice to have like a running series of it throughout events and try to start to actually see some patterns instead of these more like disjointed wins and such. But that's all coming. Decklists are public, and yeah, more, more to come. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very very vocally anti charts and spreadsheets and stuff on tournaments that are you know even Punt City, which was uh, as far as I can tell one of the bigger CDH events to have happened and have been cohesive. Uh, it was only like whatever 120 128 players, um, and so I I'm still a little skeptical on like processing and using data to make meaningful conclusions. But I know a lot of CDH players love that kind of stuff and. Uh, Zane, I, I knew he knew was working on it. I don't know where it was going to show up, so I appreciate you clarifying that. I will link both my deck list, because it's not in the top 16, obviously, and all of the, the top four, top 16 in the show notes as well, since this is a, a show on uh, Punt City. But I'm not going to dive into the, the Punt City stuff in detail. I think um, the players and decks in the top four aren't terribly surprising. You know, there's you know a lot of good players and some good decks going on there. So, um. I don't think there's anything wild and crazy and surprises, but if you want to go hunting for the next big spicy tech, you can find that in the show notes. Um, overall, yeah, great event. Not a lot to say about, you know, thoughts going forward for the moment. You know, the next event that is going to happen for Eminence is actually after a couple sets. You know, we're going to have, I think, another, what, two sets before the next yeah. event? Is that correct? I know Brothers War is coming out, and I imagine there's, like, because it's not until January, right? So that's five four and a half-ish months away, something like that, because it's January. So I know Brothers War is coming out. There's the Unset. And I'm not sure if there's another one. I'm, I'm so... Oh, Unset has Saw in half. Everyone's just ready for that card. <laughs> yeah, like, there will be some tournament legal cards from that set, I suppose. So there we'll see. Every You never know. Like, some sets we don't really get much, and other sets are just, you know, give the format a bunch of new tech. So hard to say, but I do think that 
we're going to see consistently like, similar decks doing well. Like in the top 16, we saw a lot of blue farm. We saw two Winota decks right in line with what we've been like saying. And there's also like a lot of the rogue decks, but as we commented before, monocolor decks continue to do well. And these events, top 16, I think had three or four monocolor decks. And it was, um, I, I can't remember if this is the exact composition, but I know there was an Urza, there was an Al, which Charles obviously played in finals. And then there was a Teshar deck. And, I think this is kind of in line with what we were saying earlier. Like the monocolor decks do have an edge because people just don't really understand what they're doing. They don't really know how they interact and things like that. Especially the Charles Al deck, like in the semis game or top sixteen game when he played Ian, Ian swung into Charles who had an academy rector, and I was pretty surprised to see that. Granted, Ian also whipped on a bunch of Winota triggers, chancing hit Rick. Charles was dead on board, but the rector when it died, Charles got an out of time. And, oh no! You know, that that's the reason why. And that's the reason why Ian lost. So it's just little things like that. Like, you're not expecting because I assume they're trying to build out their board. Um, obviously, I haven't seen Charles' list yet, but just in in paper, if I sat down, I wouldn't be expecting a lot of board weights from Charles, and he played a lot of board. I just caught a lot of people off guard. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, people expect Charles to be playing stack decks, and so he kind of did the old one-two, where instead of playing a stack deck, he played a, a mono-white combo deck that can kind of parade around as a stacks deck, and so people just kind of leave Charles alone. You know, all the stacks deck needs time to set up, and then he just combos off on you. So uh, Charles, very heads-up player, very smart, very good. Um, unsurprising to see him make a deep run with a powerful deck, but uh, yeah, I think yeah, great event. Um, my tournaments, you know, it wasn't anything like I we didn't do any kind of like super secret busted stuff i don't think i mean the we kind of talked about the four decks that we think are good i mean i think the most breakouty deck of that is that rog size actually way better than anybody thinks it is um because people just generically kind of think cody is better i think that comes from some past tournaments or whatever but from our findings that we think rog size is way way better and um i definitely uphold that opinion as well and as it stands, I mean, I like the Najila list. I played a lot. I think it's in contention for best deck in the format, if not, you know, the actual best. And uh, I think I need to improve a lot on my actual CDH, you know, tournament endurance and uh, adapting per pod. But those are all things that come with time. I, I was pretty happy with most of my technical play and my deck. So I think that's all I have to say about Punt City. Um it was a pretty good episode, especially for being uh, off notes. No no kind of guide at all. I think we did a, a good cohesive conversation. Uh, didn't jump around too much. And we're able to kind of chronologically go through um, the what we've been working on for the last month and a half or so. Especially as we had a miscast hiatus. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. Well, I think that does it for me. So if you have nothing else to say, then let's go ahead and wrap it up. If you want to find Mikey, you want to tell him, holy cow, Eminence sounds so awesome. I want to play in all the Eminence events, and I just want to talk to you about how great Eminence is. Where can they do that? Uh, so we have the Eminence Twitter. Um, that's a good way to reach us with any feedback about the event or any questions about future events. And also, if you're interested in attending anything in the future, definitely join our Discord. Uh, the link for it should be on our Twitter. Um, it's at Eminence MTG or at Eminence Events. It's, you, it's pretty easy to find. And... That'll give you an uh, up-to-date information on our future events. Once again, if you have any questions for us or anything that you're concerned, if you have any questions about our proxy policy or anything like that, feel free to drop in there. Um, also, you can reach out to Drake and I over at the Miscast. And these days, I'm definitely mostly available through Discord. That's the most. That's the way I turn like to interact with people. So if you have anything for me personally, just hit me up with a DM. It's MikeyJH72, and it's um, hashtag 0112. Uh, very responsive on Discord. Anything you want to hit me up with, feel free. And also, Drake and I are both going to be at SCG Columbus. So if you're going to be there and you want to say hi or you have any other questions about Drake's Najeel list or anything for Eminence, uh, feel free to ask me there. For sure. And of course, like Mikey said, you can find me at SCG Con Columbus. So it should be in the commands of recording with Playing With Power. So come hang out. Uh, I'll be part of that. And I'll probably be playing Essica. I've done so much playing with Najeel. I'm probably going to play some Essica. Uh, work on that list a little bit more using some of the conclusions that we found during our testing and um yeah you feel free to oh, i'm happy to talk at any time you can also find me on twitter at viral underscore drake um you can find both of us on twitter at the miscast mtg and uh you can find me on moxfield if you want to see my deck lists uh you don't want to look in the show notes you'd rather see it at the source um you can follow me on moxfield which is just viral drake no underscore um, I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next week.